an author by the name of Keith Gallus, who spent more than 20 years helping families work through all the questions that keep popping up on this dementia journey. And he wrote this book called Parental Dementia, and it's a guide through all those difficult questions. Um, If you go to his site, parentaldementia.com, and order the book, you can put in the code Lori, L-O-R-I, and you'll save $5.99. That's a a great, um, great way to kick off the new year. And I know the holiday season, people go, well, you know, it's over, but it's a new year, and there are people who are always in need of information 24-7. So so don't let that stop you. Go to parentaldementia.com and, and check out his book. Now, let me introduce our guest today. I am so honored to have Dr. Norris Roberts with us. He is an accomplished professional with more than 30 years of experience in the information technology and education arena. In 2008, Dr. Roberts learned that his mother suffered from Alzheimer's disease and the resulting grief led him to start writing his thoughts down to help others along with himself in terms of processing this new entity that had um, come into his life. Those thoughts became a book, Mama is Still Here, which is an inspirational tribute to his mother and a guide for those who may find themselves in a similar situation. Um, Dr. Uh, Norris Roberts lives in St. Louis, Missouri, and he is uh, joined by his beautiful wife and one jealous dog. So welcome, uh, Dr. Roberts. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Your, your story is like so many others out there, yet each of ours is, is unique and different. And I love when people uh, decide to be brave and courageous enough to share their journey uh, with the rest of the world. So thank you for, for writing this book. I want to first start out maybe just asking you a little bit if you can set up you know, when your mom was diagnosed, what were people noticing, and and um, how long did the journey last? Yeah, my mom, she started exhibiting symptoms as early as um, 57, um, according to my dad. Um, she got diagnosed in 2008 when she was 65 years old. And um, at that time, that's when my dad decided to retire because he realized that, um, so, you know, something was wrong. And then um, he had to figure out, you know, what, you know, what needs to be done. And so we learned that she had um, Alzheimer's. And so some of the things that um, that, um, that I can t- I can share with you that I started to notice um, before the diagnosis is um, like every Sunday my mother um, cooked this 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 um, this big spread, this big dinner every Sunday after we got out of church. And so my family, um, my wife and my two kids, and we would always go over there and have dinner with my parents. <clears throat> and so this one particular day, my mother, she started to want to have to eat dinner at the dining room table. And, uh, and she would invite other extended family members to come and eat with us on Sunday. So this one particular time she asked me to um, get the cornbread out of the oven. So I went to the oven to get the cornbread, but I noticed the oven wasn't on. And so I said, Mama, the oven's oven's not even on. There's no cornbread in there. Then she said, oh, I forgot to make it. And she said, since you're in the kitchen, uh, bring the sweet tea to the table. So I go on the the refrigerator, I look at the refrigerator, I go to the refrigerator, and then uh, I find the cornbread that wasn't cooked uh, in the refrigerator, and it, along with the sweet tea. And so that was one thing. Then the other thing we started to experience is that the food just wasn't tasting like it normally did. She would mix different seasonings that didn't go together. And so the food became very interesting. Uh, some other things that um, that I can speak about. Um, <clears throat> I remember I was I, I was I was really pressuring her about you know I think you know what's going on with you. 
And so I went to the house one day without, without the kids by myself. And when I went to my parents' house, <clears throat> I know she was in the kitchen, and she had took all her seasonings out on the kitchen table, and she was labeling them, like with sticky notes. And so mm-hmm. I said, and so I said, Mom, what you doing? She said, I'm organizing all my seasoning. And so I became more disturbed when I saw her put a sticky note on salt and a sticky note on pepper because it, it already had its name already on it, you know, salt and pepper. Like most of the seasons do anyway, but that was the most common seasoning is, you know, salt and pepper. So, I mean, she's putting sticky notes on everything. And so when I started to ask her about that, um, and pressuring her about, you know, what her challenges are. Then the next time I came to the house, all the sticky notes were gone. So she she did her best to hide her having the disease I mean, from all of us. Because anytime you try to um, put pressure on her about, you know, what's going on with her memory problems, then she'll just make a joke. And uh, and she is get everybody laughing, and that distract you from asking more questions. So she did a lot of that, and another thing she was doing in addition to that <clears throat> was um, she started to request my kids. I got two kids; they're twins, and they were they were probably maybe adolescent, the teenagers at the time. And she would always want them to come over to stay the weekend with her. And and the reason she was doing that was because. Um, you know, she wanted to keep her independence, and so she would take, have them help her uh, guide her through town. Like, so when she goes to the store, they can help her get back home. And she was bribing them not to, not to tell anybody that um, that she was struggling, you know, how to get back home and stuff. And so um, she they, they, she was using it like, like her human, her little human devices to get back and forth from home to the store or with the mall or wherever she wanted to go. Cause she liked, you know, really liked the shop. And then she always bribed them with like, you know, you know, buying them stuff. So they enjoyed that piece of it. But those are the kind of things we start to notice. And um, I think the thing that probably, um, probably broke the camel's back was um, my mom started having car accidents. And so she had, numerous car accidents and it was never her fault but it was just interesting she never had accidents in the past and she just started to have all these series of car accidents and most of the time she would just get rear-ended and so what my thinking is is that she would just stop in the middle of the road and somebody probably rear-ended her and that's how she um how, how the accidents occurred so those are some of the things, but it, it, it was just many different things, you know, as um, she progressed through the disease until we got a diagnosis. But it, it got to a point where we just said, my dad just said, it's something wrong. Um, and, and the thing about it, I, I said this before I start talking about it, but <clears throat> it was like you have a, she had memory lapses. They weren't like all the time. They may happen like once a month initially. Then what happens, it became like once a week. And then it became like once a day. And it seems like it just got, they just became more and more frequent within a short space of time. And so when it got to the point where she was having them every day, that is when we took her to the, my dad took her to the doctor. And that's when we got her diagnosis. Okay. Uh, sounds like there's a lot of similarities with, with my own mother. She started having symptoms in her mid-50s, didn't get di- fully diagnosed till about 65. They kept telling her it was hormones and stuff and um, the cooking issues and, and just different things. So thank you for sharing that. Why did you decide to write this book, Norris? Well, initially, um, really, to be honest with you, it was a book I really never wanted wanted to write, um, to be honest with you, because uh, it's, it's about, you know, what, what it is about my mother's having Alzheimer's. But the reason I started to write this book was, 
my my I have, I was in at the time I was in at the time my mom was having this um, diagnosis. I had started my doctoral studies, and um, I finished my my doctoral studies like in three years. It was like really amazing. It would take most people like five years to do it. So I got it done in three. And so when I got it done, um, my professor at the college, she said, Nora, she talked about your mother all the time. You need to, uh, you need, you should, you should write a book about it. And that's really what got me started to write about it because um, she just said, you are a very good storyteller. You need to write about what's happening with your mom. And she, I said, I don't know how to do that because that's that's not academic writing. That's um, that's a different type of writing. And she just said to me, she said, you'll figure it out. And so I just took a stab and I started writing about it. And a part of it, I want to just try to just the way I figure out things is I write about it. And so it helped me to analyze things that she was going through. And um, you know, I, I really hadn't decided on like writing a book to publish it, but I started writing down things that were happening so I could um, just process and understand what was happening with her. Uh, one of the things in particular I can talk about is uh, that the really was a challenge to me was she did not recognize her reflection in the mirror. And so when she, when she did not recognize her reflection in the mirror, um, I didn't understand that. And so I started doing research on it. And what I learned, I started learning about how memory works. And so when I learned how memory started to work, I realized that the, the first thing to go with Alzheimer's is your memory retention. It's your short-term memory. And so all memory starts in your short-term memory and then you get transitioned into your long-term memory. So I started to do, start to learn things like that by writing. And so when I started to write those things down, I said, that, well, maybe do other people know these same things that I didn't know about. And that's when I started to really take that whole um, project more serious and say, I need to um, write this in a way that I can share with other people. And the other thing I wanted to acknowledge is that um, I've, I've always, the other part of it was that when I read other books, like other Alzheimer's stories, and I was, I was doing research on them, they never really addressed um, the spiritual aspect of the uh, of um of our existence. Everybody always talked about, you know, what about the mind, the body, but they never talk about the spiritual aspect. And so I said, you know, we are triune beings. We consist of mind, body, and spirit. And then I'm a Christian, and I said that the way I got through a lot of this is really through prayer, and 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 uh, reading Bible scriptures. And so that's why I decided to include the scriptures and the prayers uh, in the book, because that's what helped me get through a lot of the um, challenges and struggles I had with my mom. And so people that read my book, a lot of times when I have my challenge with my mother, the very first thing I do is uh, I always pray. And I pray, and it always seemed to turn out better when I prayed. Um, so, um, I'm not sure I answered your story, you answered your question. <laughs> no, well, that, but, no, no, that, that's, that's kind of, that's fine. I, I that's think it's interesting. Why, yeah, I just, I, I just had, um, and that's why I just, you know, I, I, when you read my, when you read my story, uh, Mama's still here, um, I'm probably jumping the gun, but we probably asked this other question, but. That's why I structure the book where I structure it because I, I always, um, you know, have an inspirational quote before I tell my story. Then once I go and then I tell the story I'm going to tell, then I always conclude the story with a scripture. I identify being scripture help and I always uh, have a prayer. And I always pray for the caregiver and the sufferer and um, in my prayers. Because I, because uh, I always, I always felt like the caregiver and the sufferer are as one, uh, and um, you can't talk about the sufferer without talking about the caregiver, and so that's why I always include both of them in the prayers. But um, uh, my dad was a primary caregiver, 
uh, I would say in the earlier stages of my mother's um, decline, and I was I became the caregiver to them both um, as a disease as my dad's health started to decline. Because my dad was like a chronic diabetic, and so the things that he started to experience was uh, he would have these low sugar episodes, and these low sugar episodes uh, they, they became dangerous. Uh, he had several of them, and uh, and the fortunate thing about it, or uh, the blessing behind it, is that I was there for every one he had, and so uh, with the exception of one, I wasn't there. My mom was there, and it's a story in my book called Nine One One. While my mother, where she, um, my dad had low sugar episode while they were out at the uh, restaurant. It's called Captain D's getting some, uh, getting some lunch. And somehow my mother, um, she and I drove a car like in three years. And somehow she, she was able to drive my dad back to the house, to their house, uh, call my aunt, and call 911. And when I then, then my aunt called me, because I was on like a few minutes away. I was at work. This this when she first in the very early stages of her disease. So I got there the same time the ambulance got there, and my mother was like back to her old self. She was like telling them about all my dad's medicines he take and telling him that's, that's talking like she was just normal, like she didn't have Alzheimer's. And it it was shocking, you know. I was just like wondering, like, what is? Does she really have the all time? Or did she is she misdiagnosed? Because she was like her old self. But then it only lasted for maybe maybe forty five minutes. Then after forty five minutes, she just went back to the way she was before. Wow. And so I just so I don't know. It's just you know, and I, if you had to, if you had to told me that. And I wasn't a witness to. I would. I'd be like, mm, I'm not sure. I believe that. But I was there. I was there, and um, and I was just. I was confused, but at the same time, I was very, very happy. It was just so refreshing to see her as her old self. But that's kind of how her Alzheimer's was. Uh, she would just have moments when she just completely lose it, and then she mm-hmm. had these moments when she just. I mean, it'll be there for 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 sometimes it's a a a pretty good while, and other times it wasn't. But um, yeah, but that one time and that one story I shared in the book called Nine One One, I mean, she was completely there. Because uh, what my because huh. my dad, what my dad would do, my dad, my dad was an excellent caregiver. I mean, I just give, I mean, I give, he was hand, I give him. I give him a, 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 a plus, and the reason I said because he would take my mom to the to the track every every day. They walk the track every day, and so he would he would he was always trying to make sure that she was um, eating right, that she was exercising. He did not. Um, so sometimes people just hide their loved ones when they had that disease. No, we kept going out to dinner. We kept socializing her. Um, you know, we never stopped doing the things we did before she got diagnosed. We kept doing those things until she couldn't do them anymore. And so we continued, you know, to go, you know, and, and then we couldn't. My mother didn't do the Sunday dinners anymore. So what we would do instead, eat my wife, she would cook, or we would go out to dinner like at some restaurant. And and, and 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 the thing it was it was it was it was inter- it was interesting um, sometimes because uh, my mom she she lost the ability to read to read so she couldn't read the menu anymore and so her her favorite go to food to eat was always shrimp it was easy to eat and she knew it she didn't have to navigate a, uh, any kind of utensil like a knife or a fork and she always asked for. Um, Either shrimp or you know, French fries. It's like it was like finger foods for her. But I remember this one time I share with you is that we was at this um, one restaurant. It was in Illinois called Lala Water Creek. 
it's a it's it's a um, kind of like an Applebee's type restaurant, but it's kind of like a local restaurant, local to St. Louis area. And um, we we had finished eating, and my mom, she just she got up. She wanted to walk around the restaurant. It's a huge restaurant. And so I got up and walked around with her because I always follow her and make sure she don't get into any kind of trouble or anything. And she just walked around, and she just sat down at this one couple's uh, table and just started talking to them. And uh, the, the, this, this one couple, they uh, em, they um, embraced her. They didn't, like, shoot her away. They just, you know, you know, said, come on, have a seat with us. And she sat down with them, and she just started just talking about whatever, and they were listening. And, and, and um, well, what I thought was an amazing piece about it is that it's like she knew who were the right people to sit down next to. Because the lady she was talking with was a caregiver for Alzheimer's dementia um, in their home. And so yeah. she knew, so she kind of just knew, my, who my, she, she recognized my mom had Alzheimer's. And, but, my, but, but the thing is, my mom, she chose to sit with this couple. And, and then my wife, she asked, do you, she asked the question, do you guys know them? And I said, no. <laughs> we don't know them. I never saw them before in my life. But it was just like, it, it, was, just, it was just, that's why I always say that um, my mother's spiritual awareness had heightened with that disease. It almost just seems like in her spirit, she knew who to connect with and who not to connect with. Um mm-hmm. I talk about in the book, in my book, Mama's Still Here, I talk about how um, this is what I believe. I believe that um, as my mother's mind declined and her body declined with the disease, it seems like her spiritual awareness had heightened. And so what 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 her mind and body couldn't do, her spirit, compensated for it so when she couldn't figure things out logically like she normally did it just seems like that spiritual piece of her just it just um it rised up and it kind of helped her navigate through that disease and uh i just kind of saw that um as she as she progressed through the disease i remember one time i was um my mother, I, was, I, was, I was combing my mother's hair, and I had, and so I was just combing her hair, and I was just, um, she was just taking a bath, and I was combing her hair, and I, I was just talking to her, like I'm talking to you right now, and I was just sharing her with her like some difficulties that I was having, that they were just having in life, and as I was just talking to her and talking to her, but the thing I want to note is that I haven't heard my mother speak in more than six months. I mean, she had not even said any words, and I'm there almost every day. And so it's one particular time I'm just talking to her and talking to her, and then my mother just gets up and embraces me and whispers in my ear and says, it's going to be okay. And I could just fell out. Of, I just could just fell to the floor at that point. I think at that moment a tear dropped out of my eye. Because what that told me is that she heard me. She understood what I was saying, and and she responded. And you can't tell me that, that she's not, that she wasn't, you know, sometimes I, it was other extended family members were saying, oh, that she's not here anymore, she's gone. And it's like, no, she hears everything you're saying. She just cannot respond to it like she did when she was well. But don't don't be mistaken in thinking that she doesn't understand. But yeah. in that moment so, she was able to understand. Those moments and, and let me know. Yeah, those moments of clarity are so rich and so wonderful. And like you said, they're just shocking. I, that happened um several times with me and my mom journeyed this path for 30 years 
And I, I remember one time just breaking down and I bawled for two hours. I just bawled and she went back to sleep and I just kind of rubbed her tummy and I cried and cried and cried because my mom hadn't said my name in three years. And all of a sudden I heard it and it was just, it, it's just overwhelming and it gives you, I think this, um, this new feeling of, of connection and unconditional love and um, just this, this hope and this kind of inner knowing that no matter what happens, we're still connected. It might not look the same as it did before, but the connections are, are still very, very deep and, and strong. And um, to me, the, the journey was almost like a religious experience because it's so hard to put into words when you have those poignant moments of connection or even just, I don't know if you felt this way, but when you were talking about sitting with your mom and brushing her hair and, you know, kind of the silence and, you know, you're like, I I would feel, I would do kind of a similar thing in terms of talking with my mom. And there was a little piece of me that said, am I just talking to myself or does she really, does she really understand? But I, I came to realize she was like the safest place in the world to go because she was always open to whatever was going on in my life and whoever I showed up as without judgment. And that was such a safe, beautiful place to be Um, for me. It was anyways. And then to know that she was taking it in and that she could communicate back, maybe not in the depth that she used to, but I didn't necessarily need that depth. Um, because those few short words that 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 connection was enough to lift me. Did did you have that feeling at all? That sense with your mom? Yeah, I did. I just, I, I mean, I, my mother and I we had a very close relationship. Um, I mean, before she acquired this that that disease, and so um, I mean, we, we had like an amazing, I mean, son and mother relationship. Uh, and so I really, um, I mean, she was my confidant. I mean, she was, you know, I, I loved her to death. You know, uh, I, I had a very close relationship with her, and she was very much a part of my life. And um, and so when she, um, you know, got this disease, Alzheimer's, um, I remember, I, I, I tell you this one story that happened. I had this one chapter in a book called You Belong to Me. And I, I talk about what happened with my mom, but I was at my parents' house and I had, I had just walked in the house and my, my parents back in the bedroom. And my mother and father were like, they were back in the bedroom having, they were having a, uh, um, they were having a good time together. They were laughing and, and seemed to be talking. And my dad, um, when I came in the bedroom, he said, my mom's name is Daisy. And he asked, Daisy, you, do you know who that is? And my mother said, I, don't, I can't call your name, but I know you belong to me. Mm-hmm. And then she looked at me and she said, I always know that I know you belong to me. Mm. And that just, and so when she said that, it just, what it did for me, it let me know that it, it was okay that she didn't call my name anymore. And and I was okay with it because what happened, my mother started calling me. She always said that I reminded her of her younger brother, Howard. And so as she progressed in a disease, I became her Howard. Mm-hmm. So she always, she, she always, so she did. So that right there let me know that she, that she, that connection that she always said I had to her uncle, her brother Howard, which is my uncle, that she may not, she may not can call my name, but the name she can call is his. And when she calls his name, it's like calling my name. And so that's what helped me. Because one of the hardest things I think, uh, especially as a as a son, is your know, your mother not being able to call your name. 
But I think in that disease, you know, sometimes she, you know, sometimes she was that, um, she was that, that, that mom that I knew when I was a kid. That they went, that she, that knew my name. Then there was times when she was that 20 some year old. That was before I was born. And then she was that little girl that, you know, again, was that person before I was came into existence. And so sometimes, you know, as we are, as she wandered in her memories, depending on where she was at, sometimes I'm me, Norris, but well, she called me Junior. Then other times I'm Howard. But because uh, one time I remember it's one story in the book called Sometimes I Have to Cry, where uh, she had this crying spell. And my dad could not get her to stop crying. She cried for like hours, I think. And so I, he called me on the cell phone, and um, I was in the area. And so I, was, and so I just I, I came by. When I got there, I mean, he was just. He he was on his last leg. He was like, I can't take it anymore. And so I told him to leave, and um and I'll take care of mama. <clears throat> and so what I did at that moment, um, after my dad had left, I took my mother to the kitchen table where she always shared all these stories about her childhood with me at the kitchen table. I set her at her seat at 7 o'clock. I sat at 2 o'clock at the table. And I reached across the table and held both her hands. And I just started telling her stories about her when she was a little girl. Because when she, when I came in the house, after my dad had left, I went to the family room. The first thing she said to me was, um, please take me home. She, she called me Howard and told, asked me to take her home to her mama and daddy. And so the way I took her home to her mom and daddy is that I took to the kitchen table and I held her hand and I started telling her stories about her childhood in Mississippi and the things that she did when she was like a little girl. And when I started to do that, she seemed to, uh, she stopped crying. And then she started to ask me to tell her more stories and tell her more stories. And so then she got to a point after I told so many stories about her childhood to her, she called me by my name. And she called my dad by his name. So I just learned how to, I don't know how to explain, but I just kind of like, I just learned over time how to bring her back, you know, if I could. And that's that's well, how I did. I, 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 you know. And it sounds like a, you, what you did was you, you, what they call, lived in her world, wherever she was at, whatever age. I, I'm thinking I need my, my older brother to listen to this interview because, you know, you were explaining when your mom didn't recognize you, but she said, you know, I'll always know you. You'll always be mine. And my older brother still struggles with that to this day. My mom's been gone since uh 2014 but she lived with the disease for 30 years and for many many years she didn't know mark's name and she would call my brother mark her brother chuck and he would be i remember he was 50 years old um, and he said doesn't that just tick you off you know she calls you grandma and she calls me chuck and i said mark you know she's gone back in time i mean exactly what you figured out She's gone back in time before she was married, before she had kids. And, you know, she loves this person. This is, you know, this isn't a put down. This is, this is an honor to be called Uncle Chuck. She loves Uncle Chuck. She feels safe with Uncle Chuck. And then I, you know, I kind of giggled and said, look in the mirror. You look like Uncle Chuck when he was your age, you know. And so it all made sense, but I don't think he's ever really accepted that. So I'm going to have him, I think, listen to this um, show because maybe hearing it from another man who's gone through a similar situation will help him. And I think so many of the the stories that you've shared, so many of us have gone through. 
and you know you, you put it in, in a different light and um, teaching people to live what I term graciously alongside the disease. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because I think this is a real common thing that many go through is there's a lot of we hear a lot of abandonment of friends and even family members who don't feel comfortable visiting anymore. Did did your family experience that? Did your mom in particular lose friends on this journey? Yeah, she did. And um, my mom, she kind of spoke it out um, early on. Uh, her thing was that um, that's why she didn't want to share her diagnosis with people because she always said that fear would get in the way. And when she would say that, I didn't know what she really meant at the time. But it's a lot of things that she said <laughs> through the years. I didn't know what they meant until, like, you know, many years later. I just kind of, like, pinned that, that moment. But, um, yeah, it, 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 divided, it divided our families, basically. I mean, it just, I don't know how, it, it, it just, it, it did a job in our family. So, um you know, people, as she progressed through the disease, people, initially people would come around, then as she progressed through it, then they just started falling off. And so people wouldn't, they wouldn't come by anymore. Um, she had siblings that, you know, that they, just, they, they, um, they just, I mean, she had siblings that never came to her. They didn't even come to her funeral. And so um, it was like she was just um, forgotten. And it, it was sad for me because I, it was something I did not expect. And so, and, and because I was connected to her, what was happening, I was I was also being disconnected from other extended family members. And, uh, and, my, and, and the thing when I say we got, I have like a lot, my mom had a lot of extended family it's like it's eleven of them. She has eight brothers and she has two sisters. And so, me growing up, I grew up in. Uh, I, I was born in Mississippi, <clears throat> and I was raised in St. Louis, Missouri. And my mom was a school teacher, and so because she was a school teacher, um, she always had like you know those breaks. And so during those breaks. Um, like summer break, spring break, winter break, uh, we always went to Mississippi. And so I saw all of my, I saw my extended family often. Uh, my first cousins were like my siblings. Um, I got first cousins that, that I saw every week that lived locally. So my mom got sick with Alzheimer's. I had to grieve some of those relationships because they they just stopped coming around, and so it was it, it was hard. And the reason it was hard is because of um, I'm grieving my mother as she declines further and further into the disease. But then, in addition to that, I have to grieve those relationships of family that I was used to being connected to from childhood, I had to grieve those as well because they found it too uncomfortable for them to come back uh, or to see her. Um, Some of them would say things like, uh, we want to remember her as she once was and not as she is now. But my thing was like, she's still here. She's not gone. But you know, they didn't see it that way. They, you know, um, they just didn't. And so I don't know. It, it, it was a hard, it was difficult. I, I can say it was difficult. And uh, I've had to grieve some of those relationships. And and they just, and, and, and the way it did, it changed me. It changed me to the point where I had to see people for from my own eyes i think what was happening to me in the before my mom got alzheimer's i've always viewed a lot of my relatives from my mother's eyes 
But then when she got this disease, all times I had to start to look at people from my own my own eyes, and and it was and it, it was it was um I had to grieve that because it wasn't what I believed. Things had changed, and maybe things always. Maybe I just thought things from. You know, I was being too idealistic, or maybe I was just, you know, this person that I want everybody be, everybody to be happy and get along, and just, you know, and just move through this thing with us. But, you know, everybody wasn't on board with that. They like, you know, uh, they're not going to, they're not going to be supportive of this whole disease. And my mother, she was like the favorite aunt, the favorite sister. I mean, she had all this swag, and everybody loved her. And she gave so much love back to other people that it was difficult for me to even imagine that anyone not being there for her. But um, they weren't. And, you know, people may say different. They may have a different... I can't say they may think differently about it, but I was there. I know who was there. And they just chose not to be there. And so, but I think the thing I want, I, I would, I would leave people with is, um, don't be, I, I used to get angry about it. <clears throat> and I stopped getting angry about it because of, um, everyone is not equipped to walk this journey of all time. And so if they're not equipped and their heart's not in it, why force them? Exactly. So, you know, so I rather just, um, I, so I accept it. I had to accept that. And, um, you know, cause er, cause, um, cause, cause, um, everybody's not willing or even have the, I don't know how you said, but they just they just not they just they're not wired to help to support a person at that capacity. And um I just I guess maybe I was just I just was. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it was it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't um I ain't gonna say it wasn't hard. I think what was hard about it is just having to grieve so many different things, but I'm a giver by nature and my wife's a giver which really helped a lot and so it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal you know from that perspective we just you know we, I, I, one thing I would tell people I think a lot of people don't realize but the one thing I did not share in my in this book right here I didn't share um, that I was a caregiver for like three people uh, it was my eventually it was my it was my mom my dad and my father-in-law. My father-in-law lived with me because uh, in, in 2008, the same year my mother my mother my, uh, my mother got diagnosed with Alzheimer's is the same year that my mother-in-law passed away with cancer, and she had like um, myeloma cancer. She died, um, and and uh, when she passed away, my father-in-law. He lived in Chicago with my mother-in-law, so he moved in with me and my wife because he couldn't financially take care of himself in Chicago because um, she died at 61 years old. So he, she was young. And so he moved in with us, and shortly after he moved in with us, we learned that he had clogged arteries. So he had to get, he had to get five bypasses replaced, five bypass surgery. And so... That in itself, that wasn't a, that was, that was a difficult surgery, a difficult recovery, and he came out of it with a lot of issues. And so there was days where um, I had to take my, my parents, my dad to the doctor with my mother because she couldn't stay by herself. Then uh, once I got done with that appointment, I had to go get my uh, my parents fed, you know, so got them got them situated, got them lunch, 
And then once I got them situated, I had to race back home to pick up my father-in-law and take him to his appointment. And then I mean, it was like, so I was, I was, I was on, uh, and then I also had uh, my kids were in college at the time. And so I was attending their needs as well. So sometimes I had to like travel, you know, um, they, they, were, they were staying on campus an hour or two away, a couple of hours away. So I had to go and tend to their needs and be and parent them that way. So I was, I had a lot going on. And um, I was pretty much doing a lot of it by myself, along with my wife. But that's what we. But but again, we just the way we feel about our parents. You just do what you have to do. I don't complain mm-hmm. about it. You just do what you have to do, and you just. But I. But the thing about it, I enjoy being with my parents. I never saw it being a burden. I mean, that's what I, that's what we, you know, we, I, you know, that's what we do on the weekends. We spend time with our parents and that's what we did. And so, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't think, to be honest with you, I don't even think, I can't remember um, a week not going by when my mom, when my parents, my mom was healthy. I can't recall a week I not saw my mother, even as an adult, because I was at her house at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. So mm-hmm. uh, being with them wasn't, you know, I, I I I didn't, you know, some people don't don't have that kind of relationship with their parents. That's that's what I I had that kind of relationship, and I look, I mean, I mean, even when my mom had even had a uh, past, me and my dad, we were had like son and you know son and you know, daddy and father and son dates, I guess you could call them. We went, we, we um, went out to eat a lot to get, cause my dad loved to eat. <laughs> so um, he had his favorite restaurants he wanted to go to and, and I would take him, you know, or if he needed something, you know, I was there. We just, um, you know, and it, it wasn't a big deal. It just wasn't. Yep. No, I get that because that you know, and, and you're right. There are some people who just aren't built to do the the caregiving job, you know. And if they don't want to be there or they're not comfortable doing those those things, then the person they're caring for is not going to feel comfortable either. And I think every family kind of has a leader of the pack that's more comfortable than not with that and and it can divide you know divide families we only have about um five six minutes left but i wanted to ask you if your mom ever had any violent or or angry episodes um because i know many deal with that i know my mom didn't have a lot of them but she she could get uh aggressive verbally uh to people how about your mom i'm uh, i got i actually got a story in my book called um, it's, it's just your imagination run away with you. The old temptation song, song title. And mm-hmm. my mother, she had a, she had, she had a lot of them. You know, she, the one person she never did fight was me. She would fight my dad and she would fight other people. She never did fight me. And I think that, that brought some resentment to a lot of people as well. And I can't explain it, but for some reason I was that one person that calmed her down. But there's one this one episode that happened with her, she was at my house. We had invited my 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 her, her sister and, her, and my uncle over, my aunt and my uncle over for dinner along with my parents. And uh, and then everything seemed to be just wonderful, you know. Everybody, you know, my mother, she was in, she seemed to be very calm in a happy place. Then all of a sudden, she got angry with her sister. And which was my aunt, and she said, I want you, she said, you took something from me, I want it back now. And my aunt was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And my mother said, that you know what I'm talking about, I want it back now. And so my wife was carving this um, ham with this knife. My mother took the, she reached and got the knife from my wife, I mean, that, that took it, and she started, started chasing my aunt through the house with this knife. 
Oh, jeez. And so, and so it was like a horror movie unfolding right in my house. And my aunt was screaming. She ran into, like, the pantry and closed the door, trying to get away from my mother. And um, I reached back. I, I, reached, I reached my mother, and I got the knife from her. My mom, when she realized what she was doing, she just broke down and started crying. And so um, I just um, took her for a long walk around the neighborhood. And when I just, just try to just distract her from what was going on, just to calm her down. And she, um, then we came back to the house to have dinner. Of course, everybody was rattled. And um, my dad, he was embarrassed. Uh, my aunt was upset still. But I was like, we cannot let this disease win. So let's everybody calm down and let's have dinner. And we had dinner, and she, didn't have, and she was okay after that. But I just think sometimes you just got to just learn how to distract them from whatever that is that's happening. And I think a lot of times people just get so caught up in the moment, won't let it go, and then they just ruin the whole, the rest of the day. And you don't have to. Yeah, well, and I think one of the things people don't realize, too, is how terrified your mom had to be to grab a knife and be chasing somebody. She had to feel really threatened to do that, and yet we don't seem to think about that, Um, you know, how scared they are, how frightened they are, how mad they are um, to do something like that, and I I think you've, you've dealt with your mom in a brilliant way in terms of distracting and reminiscing and, and just loving her, you know, through the whole thing, supporting her wherever she's at and stepping into, you know, people refer to it as their world, but I think it's our world, you know, stepping into our new reality of how do we, how do we adapt to this? We've adapted to so many other things in life. Why, why is there such great pushback when it comes to dementia? I, I really do think it's a mindset and um, and a heart set that needs to needs to be changed. Well, I thank you so much for taking so much time with us today. This hour has just kind of blown by. Um, now people can reach out to you. They can email you at Norris N O R R I S at Mama is still here dot com. That's Norris N O R R I S at mamaisstillhere.com, or you can always purchase the book from um, Amazon online. And that is, um, if I'm not mistaken, you've got uh, a few different forms. You've got audio in Kindle and and then book format. Is that correct? Yes, it's in hardback format, paperback, ebook, audio. Uh, it's every format that you you would like, you know, the that you prefer. So it's, it's okay. out there. And uh, I really like um, the audio book version because um, what the what the, the, the producer did, every time he gets to the scripture and the, hymn, the scripture and prayer part of the chapter, he always played hymn music in the background. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a nice, a nice little um, addition to, um, to the audible, the audio book. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, and I wish you great success with your book, Mama is Still Here. Um, and it sounds like you've just done an amazing job in the way you loved and cared for for your mom and supported your dad through through this journey. So, again, thank you, Norris, for spending time with us today. Oh, thank you. It was, it was, a, it was a blessing. Wonderful. And to all of our listeners, I want to wish you the best as we roll into this new year of 2020. May you look back at the blessings that occurred in 2019. Uh, No matter what your struggles are, there are always still blessings there. So take a a deeper look and look for them um, in case they're just not coming up front. But the people that surround you, the opportunities that may have come and gone, maybe it didn't last as long, you, you still had them. And, uh, you know, focus on, 
on the graciousness of the new life we've got to uh, bear before us. Talk soon, everyone. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.